Once again, good morning. We're just delighted that you've taken the opportunity today to be with us here as we're worshiping in this virtual format on the last Sunday of this very strange year of 2020. But one of the things that we always have the opportunity to do when we come to the last Sunday of a year is to sort of put the period at the end of the sentence, as it were, and to look ahead to what is to come. And that's always the thing that we do. That's the reason why New Year uh, is such a great celebration in our, in our culture and throughout the world, because it's, it symbolizes the opportunity for new beginning. And there's perhaps never been a year in which we have looked more eagerly toward a new beginning than we have in the year when so many difficult and challenging things have, have occurred in our society and in the world around us. So what I wanted to do this morning is just take an opportunity to think about what we might reflect upon individually and collectively as, as a body of believers as we look ahead into the new year. You know, a lot of people have the, have the custom on the first day of the, the new year of making New Year's resolutions. I've never been much of one to do that, mostly because I know that I'm not very good at keeping them. And it always seemed like kind of a, a, a self-defeating exercise to make a list of things that I'm going to promise myself to do in the new year when I know that probably by halfway through the first month of the year, I will have stopped doing all of those things that I said that I was going to do. But what I do like to do, and what does seem to, to be a thing that works for me, and perhaps this will resonate with you, is rather than making a list of things that I want to think about doing in the new year, or focus on, or resolve to do in the new year, I like to take one thing, just make one simple goal, and it, it, it's something that is broad enough that I can find many ways to implement it, and therefore I don't have any excuse at the end of the year for not at least having made some uh, motion toward accomplishing that goal. And what I thought about this year as I've been um, studying in, in God's Word over the last several weeks is a point that comes up quite frequently in the letters of the Apostle Paul. And Paul devotes a great deal of emphasis in several of his letters in different ways as he's addressing different audiences of disciples. He talks about the concept of spiritual maturity. That one of the recurring themes of Paul's writing to encourage other disciples is the fact that Christians have to continue to grow and in fact to grow up, which is something that perhaps we don't think about ourselves necessarily needing to do. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see, you know, perhaps we see a uh, a middle-aged or even an older adult, and we think, well, I've done all the growing and maturing that I really care to do. But the fact is, spiritual maturity is something that we all need to continue to grow towards. 
regardless of our age in life and regardless of the amount of time we've spent being disciples of Christ. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, in Ephesians the fourth chapter, beginning of the twelfth verse, he would tell them that the reason that Christ gave all of the gifts that he did to the church was for this reason. Paul says those gifts were given to equip his, that is to say Christ's people, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach maturity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, we notice two things in that passage of Scripture that Paul's writing to these disciples, that two things have to happen in order for the church to accomplish the things that Christ wants it to do. One, the church has to become a mature body. But in order for the church to become a mature body, it has to have mature members. And so Christ has given all of the spiritual blessings to the church that he's given for the purpose of the members of the body becoming mature so that the body can continue to mature. And so it's important that each of us as disciples of Jesus look at ourselves and say, how can I continue to grow? How can I continue to mature? How can I continue to develop in the faith so that the entire body of Christ, the entire church, can continue to grow in the, in, and develop in the way that Christ would have it to do? So there's one thought that is central to this point, at least for me. And that's Paul's statement in Galatians, the fourth chapter in the 19th verse, where he says to the Christians in Galatia, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul said that of these disciples, many of whom he had led to the faith, that he would be continuing to be in the pain of childbirth as their parent until Christ was formed in them. That he would continue to suffer over them, continue to worry over them, continue to be concerned over them until Christ was formed in them. That that was, the, that was the goal that Paul set before them. And that's not just a goal that he had for his, his uh, children in the faith in Galatia. In Romans, the 12th chapter, 
Paul addresses the Roman Christians in the same way in Romans chapter 12 at verse 2, where Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice that here again, even as Paul talked about having Christ formed in us when he was writing to the Galatian Christians, he talks to the Roman Christians about being transformed by the renewing of their minds. That same idea of ongoing development and change being necessary in the life of a disciple. And again, to the church in Colossae, Paul addresses this very same issue in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 9. He says, You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So there again is that, that image of renewal, of ref, being reformed or transformed into the image of Christ. So here's now three different audiences of Christians, three different bodies of believers, and Paul has emphasized that very same thing. So we have to figure that must really be important, right? For Paul to make that point to three different groups on three different occasions, that point must be essential. And so as we look at ourselves as disciples about to enter the year 2021, how do we measure that in ourselves? How do we look at ourselves and answer the question, is Christ being formed in me? Am I being transformed into the image of Christ through the renewing of my mind? Am I, in fact, being renewed in knowledge in the image of Jesus? How do, we, how do we assess that? How do we measure that? How do we determine whether Christ is in fact being formed in us? Well, I think there are a few things that we can consider as we look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves going into a new year and as we progress throughout that year as, as the Lord blesses us to do. The first thing that we can think about is that Christ is formed in us when we walk as he walked. In all three of these examples that we've looked at where Paul is encouraging his fellow disciples towards spiritual maturity, he emphasizes the image of Christ or the, the person of Christ being formed in them. And so in order for us to have that image, in order for have, us to have that person of Christ within us, one of the ways we can determine whether we're doing that is to look at ourselves and say, do I do the things Jesus did when he was here physically on earth? Do I walk in his footsteps? Do I emulate his behaviors? And so that's a way that we can look at ourselves and ask that question and hopefully answer it honestly. Again, writing to the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 5, at verse 16, Paul gives this advice. He says, 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires was contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that, and notice this last part, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's two takeaways from that passage. Number one, Paul says walk by the Spirit. That is to say walk according to the Spirit's direction. Well, how do we do that? Well, we know, first of all, that the Word of God, the, the Scriptures, the Bible, as we, as we frequently call that book in English, has been breathed out for us by the Holy Spirit. That everything that it contains has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. So if we're walking according to the instructions of Scripture, that's how we can walk by the Spirit. But also notice that Paul makes the point that if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we can't do whatever we want to do because we have the conflict going on within ourselves that there's that spiritual part of us that wants to do right and there's that fleshly part that wants to do its own thing. And what Paul is saying is if you want to be transformed into the image of Christ, you can't always do what you want to do but must always focus on doing what Christ would have you to do. And in fact, later in that fifth chapter of Galatians, Paul emphasizes the point in this way. In verse 24 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we truly belong to Jesus, Paul says, we are able to put aside those things that just satisfy our fleshly desires and focus on walking with the Spirit as our leader and guide. So that's one of the ways that we can assess on an ongoing basis whether Christ is being formed in us. Look at our actions, look at our motivations, and say, am I just doing what I want to do? Or am I trying to walk according to the Spirit of God? Am I striving to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Am I trying to do things the way that I see Jesus doing them when I look at Him in God's Word? The second thing that we can consider is that Christ is formed in us when the fruit of the Spirit grows, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, it would seem to stand to reason that there are going to be outgrowths of that walk that naturally occur. That is to say, if we're walking by the Spirit, there's going to be a product in our lives that demonstrates that that's what we're doing. And Paul sort of codifies that for us again in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 22. Notice that he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. You know, sometimes when people read that passage, they look at the beginning of that, that statement and say that, you know, Paul is talking about the fruits of the Spirit, fruit being plural there. But in fact, if we look at the text, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. That love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not all separate things. That is to say, well, I can grow one kind of fruit and not grow that. You know, I can grow love, but not faithfulness. I can grow peace, but not kindness. I can grow goodness, but not gentleness or self-control. But Paul doesn't give us that option. He makes all of those things together the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, if we're going to grow the fruit of the Spirit on our lives, we can't pick and choose and just say, well, I'm going to focus on this one. Because that's the easy one for me. But in fact, we have to grow and develop in all of those things. All of those qualities. All of those characteristics. If those things are growing in our lives, then indeed, Christ is being formed in us. Because what we notice of all of those characteristics, all of those qualities, is that those are attributes of the character of Jesus. That all of those things that Paul calls together collectively the fruit of the Spirit are in fact the character aspects of Jesus Christ. So if we are developing those attributes, we are most certainly allowing Christ to be formed in us. The third thing that we can consider is that when Christ is formed in us, we fulfill his law. Well, you know, sometimes people look at the Bible and think, well, there's a whole bunch of commandments and laws in there. You know, which are the ones that I'm supposed to fulfill? What's the one that I'm supposed to be focusing on? Well, again, Paul, in writing to the Christians in Galatia, gives them something to focus on in this respect. In Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2, notice what Paul says. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If we want to fulfill the law of Christ, one of the ways that we do that, Paul says, is by carrying each other's burdens. By looking to one another and saying, how can I help my brother or sister? What can I do for that person to assist them in their walk of faith? To lift them up, to strengthen them, to make their load a little bit lighter. That's fulfilling the law of Christ, Paul says. And in fact, he would continue in that same sixth chapter of Galatians, beginning at verse 9, to say this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family 
of believers. I like that statement that Paul makes when he says, let us not become weary in doing good. You know, sometimes we get tired of doing the right thing. We've seen that a great deal in the world, haven't we? As people have struggled to deal with the consequences of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, it's easy to wear a mask for a little while. It's easy to stay distanced from people for a little while. It's easy to stay home and be safe for a little while. But eventually you get tired of doing those things. You say, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I just want to go back to living my old life. And see, Paul recognizes that we have that nature. He recognizes that doing good all the time is a hard thing. And that we get tired of doing it. But he says, don't become weary of doing good. Because there's an end reward that we're looking forward to. If we do not give up. And so, he says, every time we have opportunity, we need to do good. Not to say, well, I did good yesterday. I don't have to do any good today. I helped out somebody last week. I don't have to help out anybody this week. But whenever we have opportunity, he says, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. Just as he said earlier, carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Do I want to know if Christ is being formed in me? Then I need to look at myself and ask the question, have I gotten tired of doing good for other people? If if. If I have, the answer is no. Christ is not being formed in me right now. I need to look at every opportunity that I have to do good. Because that's the walk of Jesus. That's the reflection of the image of Christ. To seize every opportunity. To do good for someone else. Because that, Paul says, fulfills the law of Christ. We also find that Christ is formed in us when we love in the way that He loves. In John chapter three, in John chapter thirteen, on the night that Jesus was be, about to be betrayed into the hands of those who would crucify Him, Jesus made this statement to His disciples. John chapter thirteen, beginning at verse thirty-four, He says, "A new commandment I give to you: love one another." Now I want us to notice, Jesus didn't just leave it at that. He didn't just say, love one another and let that be the end of the conversation. Notice that he goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He doesn't just say, love one another, but then he sets a standard. He says, here's how you have to love. You have to love each other the way that I have loved you. 
And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And by implication, if you love one another to the level and the height and the manner and the degree that I have loved you. Now that's a very high bar. Jesus loved his disciples and by extension us so much that he was willing to give his life for them and for us. That's how greatly he loved. And we have to aspire to that same degree of selflessness in our love for one another. That's why Jesus doesn't just say love one another and leave it at that. Because we would define that however we wanted to. But he says love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. When we assess the way that we love each other, when I assess the way that I love my brother, or that I love my sister, or that I love my neighbor next door, or the person down the street, or the, the individual that I pass who's in need, the measure of that love is not how do I feel about it, how do I judge love? But the measure is, do I love that person as Jesus has loved me? Do I elevate my love to that standard when I relate to other people? If I do, or if I'm at least striving toward that goal, then and only then is Christ truly being formed in me. And lastly, one other point that we can consider is that Christ is formed in us when we live in gratitude. You know, we often don't think at this gift-giving time of year about the importance of gratitude. You know, we often get so wrapped up in the, in the giving and receiving of gifts that we don't always think about the fact that it's important for us to be grateful for the gifts that we get. It's important for us to truly be thankful for and appreciative of not only the gifts that we, have, that we receive from others, but the ability that we have to give gifts to those that we love. In Colossians chapter 3 at verse 15, Paul would make this statement. He would say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And then notice the next thing he says. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, notice here it comes again, with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here it comes again. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Not once, not twice, but three times in that brief passage, Paul emphasizes the idea of thankfulness and gratitude. It is easy for us to be selfish. It is easy for us to be takers. It is easy for us to be eager to get. But it is so much more important for us if we would be in the image of Christ to be people who are thankful for what we have. And thankful for every opportunity that we have to use what we've been given to honor God and to serve others. Be thankful, Paul says. Sing with gratitude in your hearts. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Whatever we do has to be imbued with the Spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. So much so that if we are doing anything that we're doing out of a feeling of obligation, out of a feeling of necessity, even out of a fear of, well, I don't want to get punished for not doing this, then we're doing it with the wrong attitude. Everything that we do ought to be filled with the idea that God has blessed me richly in Christ and I want to show how thankful I am for what God has done for and given me by doing for others in the way that God has done for me. That's living in gratitude. And if that's how we are living, then we can truly say that Christ is being formed in us. So the question that I want to ask myself as I approach this new year of 2021 is the question, is Christ truly being formed in me? Will my life in the coming year show the evidence of the person of Christ living and dwelling and filling my life? Well, it will be if I can implement these points that we've been talking about this morning. If, in fact, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, yes, I am walking, at least striving to walk in the way that Jesus walked. If I can look at that beautiful definition of the fruit of the Spirit and saying, yes, these qualities, these characteristics are in fact growing in my life. If I am in fact fulfilling the law of Christ by carrying 
other people's burdens at, at every opportunity, if I'm seizing every opportunity to do good to other people, and if I'm truly loving others in the way that He has loved me, and if in fact I really am walking and living in gratitude for all of the blessings that God has filled my life with, for everything that He has done for me in Christ. And that gratitude is being reflected not only by my attitude toward God, not only by my attitude toward His Son Jesus, but by my attitude toward each and every person that I come into contact with. Does the thanks that I have for God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and His love show in my interaction with every other person that I meet. I'm going to challenge myself this year to allow Christ to be more fully formed in me than has been in the, at, at any point in my past life. And it's not to say that I haven't been striving for many years to do this. But I certainly want to stop as, we, as I begin this new year and make this a particular focus. And I want to invite you to do the same. I want all of us to look at our lives and say, how can there be more Christ in me? How can there be more of the image of Jesus in my life? How can I be more fully transformed into the likeness and the person of the Son of God? How can I walk more fully in the footsteps of my Lord? Will you challenge yourself this year as we enter this new year to do that, to find ways in your life that you can more fully embody the person of Jesus? I hope that you'll accept that challenge to do that, even as I'm going to commit myself to accepting that challenge. And if you need help in figuring out how to do that with your life, if you need assistance in, in just talking that through and saying, what do I need to do with my life to make the image of Christ more fully formed in it. We would love to help you and, and talk with you about that. If you want to get in contact with us through our website, lakemercedchurch.com, we would be delighted to, to share with you what we have learned from God's Word and what we're striving to do in making Christ more fully formed in our lives and to talk with you about how you can do that more effectively in your life. If we can be a blessing to you in that way, we hope that you'll allow us to do that. Thank you for being with us this morning as we've shared these thoughts from God's Word, and I hope that as you enter this new year, that you'll do so with a, a light heart, with a glad spirit, with gratitude in your, in your heart, and with the determination to live more fully in the image of Christ.